Get right into our Prophecy Focus Global Update in just a minute, and then uh, after about oh, 35, 40 minutes, we'll pop into the book of Acts, chapter 22. Uh, but uh, today starts, for those watching on the internet, uh, starts Awana and our youth group, so welcome back to school time. So that's uh, going full force. If you have young people uh, any age that you'd like to get involved in our youth groups, they're certainly welcome here. And uh, we'd love to have them. 6.30, we start every single Wednesday night, and then uh, we get done about 8 p.m. So feel free to bring your children by. And we do have, uh, of course, if you're watching, you're aware we have our Prophecy Focus Global Update and adult studies for uh, the adult folks. Uh, but everyone else, of course, has the, the youth groups. All right. Well, I'm excited uh, to get into the material today. Uh, just a little couple of quick commercials. This Saturday, 6 p.m., Waukesha Expo. I'll lay out in Waukesha for our Unigrow folks, but uh, for those in Milwaukee County, Waukesha County, uh, and that area, of course, uh, anyone within driving distance is welcome to the VCY America Rally. Uh, I'll have the privilege of speaking this month, and uh, we'll be talking about globalism, the great world consumption, and then uh, we'll be unveiling a new book that we uh, just finished called Artificial Intelligence, Transhumanism, not transgender, but transhumanism and the de-evolution of democracy. So we'll be talking about all that this coming Saturday. Uh, a lot of current events filled in with major passages in Bible prophecy. Uh, by the way, Jim Schneider wrote the foreword to the new book, and then uh, the Heritage Singers will also be there from Maranatha Baptist Bible College. So it should be a great night, 6 till about 8 p.m., and uh, love to see you there again this Saturday. Doors open at 5, and uh, the uh, singers will start at 6 p.m. sharp. Hope to see you there. Be a great time. All right, well, let's get right into it. Uh, we're going to spend a little bit of time, Prophecy Focus Global Update, looking at current events in the light of Bible prophecy, uh, domestically as well as internationally. And, of course, uh, we just a couple of days ago had the remembrance of uh, the September 11th, the World Trade Towers and so forth. We'll be spending a few minutes on that as well and some of the things that have a direct nexus with what we'll be looking at in Bible prophecy tonight. But uh, we're going to get started. I'm going to go to one. Uh, actually, I talked about it on the radio a couple days ago. And we're looking at an organization called BRICS, which to you may be new, maybe old hat. But uh, BRICS is, and I've got the, what the acronym stands for up on the screen, which stands for Brazil, Russia little poetic pause, India, China, and South Africa. All right, so again, when we're looking at Bible prophecy, there's several nations, key places that are brought up in Bible prophecy. Uh, most of you that are familiar watchers or attendees here are familiar with a couple of the countries that are listed up there are very strong in the prophetic nexus. Uh, Russia being the first one. Uh, Ezekiel chapter 38, when we're talking about Magog, actually is the old term that accounts for Russia. Uh, we're looking at the alignment of nations that will be taking place. Uh, could happen any time uh, shortly after what's known as the rapture takes place. 
and uh, Ezekiel 38 and 39 were the basically what we know now. Certainly they didn't know it back when the prophetic books were written. Of course, God knew, but the authors didn't. Uh, we've talked about this many times. When you look at all the nations that are listed in Ezekiel chapter 38, they all have one common denominator, which didn't happen until about 700 A.D. Oh, who remembers what the common denominator is? And you can yell it out. Come on, you know. Okay, European Union, that's uh, not this particular group. Uh, what? Okay, if we're talking about Libya, if we're talking about uh, Jordan, if we're talking about Saudi Arabia, if we're talking about uh, Syria. Hey, there we go. I knew you'd catch on. Uh, we're talking about uh, uh, Islam, uh, which didn't really form until the late 600 A.D., not B.C., A.D., and all the nations that are talked about in Ezekiel 38, even Russia now, they, they still have a, they have a growing presence of Islam. They're probably the weakest one on that, but all the other nations, they have that in common. Okay, so we're looking at India. We're looking at China. They don't fall into the Ezekiel 38 passage, but uh, there's one other major passage, and some of you will get this one. It's in Revelation, and it talks about the kings of the kings of the east. All right, it comes out of Revelation 16, and uh, when we're thinking about uh, China specifically, which is a major power right now, uh, we're looking at nations that have a very strong prophetic nexus. So interesting, uh, BRICS, this one group, which is. Basically, these are supposed to be very, very strong economic nations that have this gathering together, and they're trying to expand it. Well, it's interesting who they're trying to expand it with. Now, they're, again, when we're looking at prophecy, the key thing that we want to stress is, which is why we'll be talking about it at the Waukesha Expo, starts with a G. What is the key issue when we're looking at prophecy? And, it, the, uh, and the word again starts with a G. What's the word? Globalism. Everything is globalism. Again, we go back to the basic text, Revelation chapter 13. There's three key things that God makes very clear will be forming in the midpoint of, or at least have, will form by the midpoint of the seven-year tribulation period. All right, let's see if we can get them. A one-world government, a one-world religion, and a one-world economy. All right? So those three things we absolutely know are going to be taking place. And, uh, again, we'll, we'll be going through that a lot at the Expo coming up this Saturday. Uh, but we make mention of it almost every time we look at this because of the strong prophetic nexus. All right, whoops, don't want to move that yet. So let me just give you a couple of things. So uh, this BRICS group, here's who they're looking to add. First one on the list, Saudi Arabia. Now, does that have a prophetic nexus? Well, there are, what was Saudi Arabia back during biblical times? Uh, Sheba and Dedan. Have you ever heard of that? Yes. It's, in, it's, it, it's definitely in... Uh, our Old Testament, it's talking about Sheba and Dedan, which is now modern-day Saudi Arabia. Well, have you seen anything in the news about Saudi Arabia lately? Okay, you're not watching the same news channels I do then. Uh, <laughs> Saudi Arabia is basically, they're starting a relationship up with 
Israel. Uh, kind of, uh, if you were, and we haven't really gotten into this in a good year or so, but uh, you remember when uh, uh, the Abraham Accords? Remember that? Okay, I hear some yeses. The Abraham Accords, of course, uh, which particular president actually was involved with that? President Trump, so last administration. So there's a lot of chatter, and, and I'm just going to revisit some of the chatter that was taking place. Uh, the Abraham Accords came out, which quite frankly, a lot of people were super excited prophetically. I was not. Uh, the several nations that all made if you will, agreements. It wasn't peace treaties. It wasn't something that got me real excited because Daniel 9.27 is what people were looking at. Well, uh, uh, Daniel 9.27, which is basically the start of the seven-year tribulation, is when uh, a peace treaties or a covenant, basically, is renewed with Israel. So people were getting very excited. Saudi Arabia looked like they might get involved. Uh, a couple other, the United Arab Emirates, if you remember that one, Bahrain, a couple of very small little nations that really don't have a whole lot of punch uh, when it comes to the prophetic scenario. But people that are paying attention to Bible prophecy, they're like, wow, Daniel 9.27, that's the start of the trip. If indeed the Abraham Accords mean uh, peace treaties are going to be formed and therefore the rapture must be coming if that's going to be taking place. Well, Again, my position was this is not the treaties or actually it's, it's a, a, a renewal of a covenant already exists, a renewal of a peace treaty. There's three major peace treaties that are in existence with uh, Middle Eastern countries right now. And again, I don't believe that those are the, the peace treaties that is going to be talked about in prophecy because they're just not powerful enough. But we'll see. Uh, but it definitely is setting the stage for things to come. Anyway, Saudi Arabia right now, uh, which of course is a major uh, oil producer, Iran. Does Iran have a prophetic nexus? Ezekiel 38. Ethiopia, does that have a prophetic nexus? Ezekiel 38. Egypt. Now, they have a prophetic nexus, but not for the same reason. Uh, that's a whole other study, but Egypt is not going to align with those uh, Ezekiel 38 nations. They're actually, they're a whole other issue. All right, then we have Argentino. Okay, take it or leave it, not a major prophetic player. And let's see, I already made mention of this group, UAE or the United, what? Arab Emirates on the map, it's about the size of a, of a pencil tip. Uh, very small. Uh, one of the, the UAE is one that was involved with uh, the Abraham Accords. But okay, why why do we care about all this? Well, because uh, the expanding picture here is pulling in more of these nations that are aligning together, and that's setting the stage for Ezekiel 38 and uh, Revelation 16 to come to pass. All right, so I'm just going to read you a couple of quick things here. The BRICS block of developing nations agreed on Thursday, this last Thursday, to admit Saudi Arabia, Iran, Ethiopia, Egypt, Argentina, and the United Arab Emirates in a move aimed at accelerating its push to reshuffle a world order. Does that get your attention? Reshuffle a world order it sees as outdated. 
In deciding in favor of an expansion, the block's first in 13 years, BRICS leaders left the door open to future enlargement as dozens more countries voiced interest in joining a grouping they hope can level the global playing field. Okay, so you got two of my favorite words in here, world order and uh, global playing field. But long-standing tensions could linger between members who want to forge the grouping into a counterweight to the West. Oh, who's the West? We are. Yeah, take a look in the mirror, right? Uh, United States. Uh, long-standing tensions could linger between members who want to forge the grouping into a counterweight to the West. Notably, guess who wants to have a little tay-to-tay with us? China, Russia, and now Iran and those that continue to nurture close ties to the United States and Europe. All right, so uh, uh, again, when we think about the United States, which obviously is us, where do we fit into the prophetic scenario? Yeah, we don't. Now, what does that mean? Are we going to be destroyed? Are we just a non-player, a non-entity? The answer is, don't know. So we could speculate that the cows come home, uh, but... It's very interesting. The United States does not play a part in uh, prophetic scriptures. So it's very interesting. And I, I, the, the last thing I want to do is get people upset. It's like you go home and wonder, well, what's going to happen tomorrow? Are we, you know, what's going to happen in the United States? Are we a major player? Are we going to exist? Are, are we going to have a world war with China, Russia, Iran? Who knows? We don't know. But here's what we always look forward to. What's the next major event on God's prophetic calendar? Jody's illustrating it for us. Hopefully you don't fly up without us, but <laughs> uh, it's the rapture of the church. So I, all I can say is we keep looking up. Uh, Titus chapter 2. Take your Bibles. Let's go there for a minute. Let's, let's look at the happy news for a minute. All right, Titus, where are you? Right here. Titus chapter 2, verse 13. This is one of those verses you want to underline. Titus 2, 13. Let's go back to verse 11. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. I'm in Titus 2, 11. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in the present age. Now here's the, the kick. Looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearance of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, I mean, that's, that's the, the believer's great, I, I, again, I don't like using the word hope because in, in the English language it's not powerful enough. The best word to use here is assurance. Looking for the blessed, I like the word assurance, I think is a stronger word and more fits the context. Looking for the blessed assurance and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people zealous for good works. But uh, the key thing here is uh, don't get despaired. It's like, oh, what could happen? Well, I'm, I mean, we could, again, we could go home. We could be concerned day and night. Oh, what's going to happen? What's going to happen? The only thing I know for sure that's going to happen is if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, which I am, 
you believe that uh, Christ died for your sins, which I do and I trust you do, we understand we're sinners, we don't deserve heaven, but Christ Jesus came in the world to save sinners, and that's exactly what he did when pointing to the cross behind me when he gave his life to pay for our sins. So what's the worst case scenario that can happen for a Christian? We go to heaven. Is that a bad scenario? You know, you know we, got this, we, we have this problem where we fear death all the time. It's like, oh, I don't want to die. I'm scared of death. Or, uh, like, wait a second, Christian. Wait a second. It's like, what are we all looking forward to? It's being in heaven with the Lord Jesus, seeing him face to face. So uh, uh, what we're really more concerned, we're not, we're not concerned really about the death problem. You know what we're concerned about? is the process of going through it to get there, right? I mean, it, it, we don't know. Uh, we haven't had a whole lot of people come back and say, you know, I died yesterday, but it wasn't so bad. You know, it just it doesn't happen. You, you look in Scripture, and of course, multiple people had been resurrected uh, that, uh, I mean, just think of Lazarus. And, and, and the Bible doesn't tell us anything. It says, you know, Lazarus died, Jesus weeps at the tomb, he raises us from the dead, everybody has a party, life is good, Lazarus is here. But uh, nobody interviewed Lazarus in the Bible. We don't know what it was like, and uh, we, we won't until we experience it. Uh, the one thing we know is that uh, Jesus, of course, death, burial, resurrection, uh, when he was resurrected, he had a glorified body. Uh, could he speak? Could he talk? Yeah. Could he, could he eat? Could he walk through walls? It's amazing. So uh, I know, and I'm not trying to make light of death because uh, um, there's a reason why we don't want it. Why do you think that reason exists? Why has God innately put in us the desire to live? Okay, well, we were created. Why, Why else? Why do you think God innately put in me and you to want to survive? Okay, let's start here. We got a job to do. do. Something else. Say what? Share the gospel. gospel. That's part of that job we got to do. (laughs) Anyone else? To be a a witness to each other. Yeah, that's good. Thanks, Gail. Someone else? I'm sorry, Peggy? It's a blessing to have a long life. All right. Fellowship with okay. So all these things are important, but but here's the thing. Apostle Paul, at least we believe it was the Apostle Paul, experienced death. Was taken up, well, he was taken, not necessarily experienced death, but he was taken up to the third heaven. And he said, I know a man. He doesn't say it was him. He goes up. But he's, the person comes back and he said, what? I, I can't tell you what I saw, I can't, I, whatever this person. Now, we, of course, all the theologians believe it's Paul. He went up, saw the third heaven. Did he tell us what he saw? No, he couldn't. He could, yeah, he, I mean, he was forbidden to tell us. And, I, and, and with all seriousness, and I've said this many a time here, if we knew how good it was going to be, we would all do everything we could to get there. And that's not God's plan for us. Um, taking our own lives is not something that God has. I mean, it's just, it's not something God approves of, nor does he want. And every single person that answered, you know, why are we left here, 
It's because God does have work for us to do. And uh, the simplicity of it is, does Jesus show up in our neighborhoods and go door to door and tell folks about Christ? No. He does not. Who, who did he give that job to? He gave it to us. We're his ambassadors, 2 Corinthians 5.20. This Sunday, and uh, those watching on the internet, you're all invited. We have our, uh, at least since I've been pastor, this is our first, uh, we're having a small missions conference. So we'll have three different speakers coming up this weekend. Uh, Nine o'clock, we have Aaron Broughton will be speaking on Jewish missions. Uh, Dean Zemke, who's here tonight from Japan. Uh, we'll be speaking on missions, and then uh, we'll have a nice potluck dinner here at uh, 11.30, and then uh, Rachel Dolick from India will be uh, sharing her testimony and what she's doing uh, in, in uh, India. Uh, but all these things, uh, uh, God's got so much work for us to do. He's like, no, uh, I'll tell you when it's time to leave. You just stick around till uh, I, I give you your marching orders. All right, so these things are all important, but it's very interesting. So this BRICS group is forming, it's getting larger, and it definitely has a prophetic nexus. All right, let's go to the next one here. When we're talking about Revelation chapter 13 again, and basically the one world controlled government, every time, again, when we're looking at these major scenarios that are starting to form, uh, how many of you use the browser Google? My hand's up. I use it all the time. And uh, here's an interesting article that just came out. I, I did fact check it because if I'm going to mention somebody as powerful as Google, uh, especially uh, publicly, I wanted to make sure what I was reading was correct. Well, this thing is all over the news everywhere. Google announces worldwide ban on independent media from search results. Now, let's see. What does that mean? Well, what it means is this. It's basically a form of deciding who gets in and who does not get into uh, their little searches. Uh, So let's, I'm going to read a little bit of this. And of course, they've got their own spin on it, which, duh, of course they're going to. Uh, Google has partnered with the United Nations, the World Health Organization, WHO, and other globalist organizations in a new censorship tool, according to LaToya Drake, head of Google News Lab. Antennas going up. Google News Lab is a team within the Google News Initiative whose mission is to collaborate with journalists to fight misinformation. From whose perspective? And other things. And the Google News Initiative, which is known as GNI, works with publishers and journalists to fight misinformation. Now, you know who would be accused of spreading misinformation? Uh, Yeah, me. Um, Let's see. When we think of liberals versus conservatives, speaking mainly of America right now, when we think of liberals versus conservatives, who would be the ones that Google would think are spreading misinformation? That would be the conservatives. Well, how do you come up with that? Well, not too hard to figure it out. ExposedNews.com reports below are the short descriptions from uh, GNI's or Google News Initiative about 
about page. The titles are misleading. For example, the following, the Our Partners hyperlink containing the words learn more does not lead to a list of overview of its partners. It leads to case studies, some stories about how new organizations around the world are growing their news coverage in digital business. All right, so what's the point here? The point is, and they're making, I mean, they're, they're putting it out there. This, this is a person that's part of the, the Google News uh, marketing team. Last week, Swiss, Swiss software developer uh, Dejan Gorjev tweeted, Google's new global censorship tool was introduced today via an, via an email press release. Now, folks, uh, other countries already have very, very restricted things when it comes to Internet. Certain countries will shut the Internet down if things are going out or if they think there's going to be dissension within their country. Bam, all of a sudden the Internet's shut down. And we could give a ton of case studies on that. Um, I'm going to read just a couple more things here, but what is this initiative's true purpose. Its purpose is to eliminate dissent on any topic Google chooses. The algorithms, okay, now we talked about artificial intelligence and algorithms multiple times here. An algorithm is nothing more than a computerized way of producing a software that does a particular thing. The algorithms they're talking about are programmed to pick up on specific words that are, if you will, buzzwords with Google. In other words, if you say something about COVID-19, which is something they address here, all of a sudden, bam, you're going to get, they're going to check it out, they're going to look at it, and the algorithms will tell them if it's negative or positive and if it's going to be banned or not. Many of you have written uh, um, tweets or put something on Facebook and all of a sudden two minutes later there's a blank spot where your post was because they determined it wasn't appropriate and took it down. All right, Whether it was appropriate or not, don't know, but it happens all the time based on these algorithms. I mean there's billions and billions and billions of messages sent on a continual basis which means you got to have a computer program that can basically do the censorship. No human being can do it. All right, so the goal is to have one point of view. Hosted by Google, Data Commons aggregates data from a wide range of sources into a unified database. It is a collection of data and tools which, broadly speaking, comprise a knowledge graph linking data from numerous open sources supporting schemas and API to access data in the graph. Now, sorry, it's a little bit technical here. The bottom line is, I'll simplify it. The artificial intelligence, which, well, at least most people that have been coming have a little clue what that does. It's a massive computer ability, trillions of things that are out on the Internet, out on uh, uh, things that are digitized, all come into this centralized computer. It processes information, and then it determines if your information is good, bad, or ugly. And if they think it's bad or ugly, guess what? It doesn't get out there. They're going to cut it off. In other words, uh, um, we're switching most of our platform here at church, and if Cameron and Nick and Lane back there will be hearing this for the first time, and Alan. Uh, okay, so 
There, we've been using putting our messages out on our website, myugbc.com. The unfortunate thing with uh, anything that is involved with uh, Google or Facebook or YouTube, that's all subject to being axed out. SermonAudio.com, which is the major platform that we use here at the church, even though most of you probably don't even know what that is, SermonAudio.com. It's a multi-million dollar group that put together, at, it's actually at Bob Jones University now, which is where the main servers are. So they put together this big giant conglomeration of uh, uh, servers, which is basically where all of the sermons are kept and, and so forth, uh, at Bob Jones University, and it's on its own platform. So all of my messages, Josh's messages, whoever else is filling in preaching here, all of those messages are now going to be put onto sermonaudio.com, which I've been doing for the three years I've been here. So you say, well, what is the difference? Well, if you go to our website starting tomorrow and you go to media and sermons, you're going to see something different. The difference is we're now linking directly to sermonaudio.com. So uh, as of yesterday, our, our um, computer group, which we run our website through Wix, all of a sudden decided to shut down things and like quadruple the price in order to put our videos out on our website. So uh, I got together with a couple of computer folks and said, well, we got to we got to come up with a workaround because we're not going to pay exorbitant fees to put this stuff out. The way we did it was we, we, again, sorry if it's too technical, but we put hyperlinks or links on our website. So when you click on my message from last week, you're going to see a little different format than what you're used to. We'll, we'll fix it and make it prettier as the weeks go on, but it's going to take you not to our website or to Google or to YouTube anymore. It's going to hyperlink you right to our message that's right out of sermonaudio.com. You say, well, why are you doing that? This is why. Okay? Um, because they're going to charge us to death or they're going to censor us to death in order to get us off their platforms. All right, that's uh, enough of that. I want to, because I, I, I should have done this someday and I failed to do it, but I want to, just real quick, I'm going to give you the headline, but I'm not going to talk about it. Analysis for foreign envoys in China. G, uh, who's the, of course, president of China, G20 absence confirms worrying trend. Uh, China, by the way, even though they're one of the major powerhouses, they got some serious financial issues going on right now. Uh, I'm not quite sure how that's going to play out, but Bottom line, the G20, it's 20 of the most powerful nations met, uh, I think it was last week, and uh, really was quite benign, except guess what the major topic was? And there's three or four that you can guess, and one of them's going to be right. What was the major issue at the G20 summit with these major world leaders? Bam, I heard it there. Who said climate change? Carl! And Tony, all right, if you say climate change, that was really the biggest thing that they hit on. There are several other things, but it's very interesting. Uh, now, President G should pretty much be a household name for everybody here because President G has given America fits, by the way, and uh, we kowtow to a lot of it. And, uh, of course, not that I'm uh, trying to put too much on this. I, it's very hard to be apolitical when everything's political, but... Uh, Again, I'm looking at everything from a prophetic nexus, but 
today, uh, Senator McCarthy started, at least is attempting to start a procedure, and let's see how many will watch the news today. What is he trying to do as of today? Okay, you did read that one. All right, so he's, he's starting the process, uh, basically, which will go nowhere, but uh, he's starting the process, basically, to impeach President Biden over multiple things, one being his relationship with what particular country? China, and there's several others, Ukraine, and a few others, which just happens to be a major story in the news. Now, again, my point is not to diss the current president or past presidents. My point is to point out, when you have all these things taking place, does it have a prophetic nexus? Well, it's very interesting now, and nobody knows what's going to come out of all the, I mean, it's just starting this impeachment issue, but where's America going to end up here? Is it going to strengthen relations with China or is it going to hurt them? Is it going to be the end of the current administration or is it going, you you just don't know, right? We don't know how these things are going to play out. The one thing, and I'll I'll say this and then I want to get to 9-11 for a couple of minutes before we get into Acts. And I see some uh, folks that haven't been here and all these new folks on the internet. Again, the conservative community, not necessarily Christian, but the conservative community was quite disturbed over the last election when President Trump lost uh, to President Biden. And uh, there's a huge issue about that, and and the conservative community was like, this is horrible, you know, what's happening? Uh, Where's the Christian community? What's God doing? And if you believe Revelation 13, that God puts leadership into place, it's like, what's going on? Why would God allow something like this to happen? Well, again, from a prophetic nexus only, not a political nexus, because we, we try to, we, we want to get political, but sometimes we got to get Bible instead of political. President Trump, and we've talked about this a couple of times, and, and most of you will be able to answer this. President Trump had a major slogan, slogan four letters, which were what? M-A-G-A, and you already said it, make America great again. That is not a prophetic scenario. It's an antithetical prophetic scenario. Make America great again. Now, am I all about make America great again? Make a nationalist person? Am I about America? Of course I am. I, you know, I live here. I, I want America to be great. But it didn't fit the prophetic scenario. And we've talked about this. So who takes his place? Well, President Biden gets voted in or gets put in. I'm not sure which is correct. But anyway, he's in office regardless of what the politics behind it is. He's in office. Have you ever heard President Biden repeat M-A-G-A in a positive light? Quite the opposite. Uh, His purpose, yes, he'll say good things about America, but President Biden has gone away from the nationalist picture to a what picture? A globalist picture. Does that fit the prophetic scenario? 100% it does. So as a conservative, if you say, man, why would God allow this to happen? Well, I don't know. But this I do know. It's very interesting. It's like, well, you know, if indeed the rapture is right around the corner, and if indeed the one world order, Revelation 13, is right around the, the, the curb here after the rapture takes place, well, it would make very much sense that we would have a globalist type administration. It's because it does what? It fits the prophetic scenario. Now, you notice 
I try to be very careful. I didn't say this administration is great, this administration is bad. No, from a prophetic scenario, from a prophetic scenario, we're right where we would need to be if indeed the rapture is going to take place any minute here and uh, the one world system is going to kick in. Anyway, last thing on President G, he could not go to the G20 summit. Anybody know why? Say what? Uh, as far as what? Yeah. Why? Why? No, it wasn't COVID. Why can't President G leave his little country right now and go where all these other countries are? Say what? I didn't hear. Flooding? No. It's personal. It's personal. There is a warrant out for his arrest for committing war crimes. Uh huh. So you step into the wrong country, and guess what? You may not be leaving. So President G said, I like my Betty by at night, so I think I'll stay home so I don't end up in a prison cell somewhere. That's fact, folks. That's exactly why he didn't go, and he made it very clear that's why he didn't go. So nobody's immune, apparently, from prosecution, even the president of China. All right, um, that's enough of that. Let me go to one last thing here. United States marks 22 years since 9-11 with tributes and tears. When we think about 9-11, the, the, the major terrorist attack that took place on our shores, I mean, something that is, quite frankly, unprecedented in the history of America, uh, where this type of a horrific event took place. So it is, it is worth noting, it is worth taking a, a, a few minutes to remember what took place there. Uh, when we think about uh, our country, which has basically been, for the most part, immune from terrorism, uh, it's picked up some, and then it waned. And uh, again, now the, the major issue, if you think about terrorism in the United States, I'm, I'm, I'm taking a survey here. How many of you would say international terrorists coming into America is, and here, let me give you both sides and then you can decide which one you want to vote on. Terrorists coming in from outside of our borders is the major issue, or would you say things taking place within our country or domestic terrorists are the bigger issue? How many would say international terrorists coming into our country is the biggest threat? Okay, how many think domestically it's the biggest issue? All right, very interesting. Very interesting. Um, there's two different, and, and again, I, I, this, this will get into an all night discussion. I got to get into X. Those of you that just raised your hand for domestic, if you're willing to, give me the reason or reasons why you think domestic terrorism is the most important issue right now. Just raise a hand and I'll call on you so we don't get everybody at once. Kevin? Okay. Uh, basically, and there is this theory out there that uh, the airplanes going into 9-11 or going into the buildings uh, is not how that took place, which is what he's saying. Who else has something? 
Okay, I saw back here. Okay. All right. Ed? I think those that are coming in across our borders are going to be involved in domestic terrorism. Okay. Well, if you didn't hear that, uh, those coming in that are coming across the borders, which we know, and I mean, this is, this is a no-brainer. Even the, uh, the liberals are complaining about the border issues right now, terrorists coming in. Um, back when I was in law enforcement, there were more terrorist cells in America than the FBI and the CIA had agents. That means there's less than one agent per terrorist cell. Does that get your attention? Now, that's public news. That isn't private, uh, high-class, highly classified information. That was made known in the newspapers, Jody. Okay, ideologies within our own country is what you're saying. All right, so interesting. So, all right, so we look at terrorists coming in from the outside, and that was, I mean, with the individuals that came into our country, however it happened, whether you buy into the airplane having done it and flying into it, I still happen to believe, based on eyewitness reports, that that's how it took place. And now there's those that say, no, it didn't happen. Airplanes didn't fly into the buildings, that they were blown up from inside. Um, eyewitness reports, I know. And, and again, I know there's both sides of the coin. I just find it based on the research I've done and those that gave eyewitness reports. It Again, my perception, right or wrong, is that uh, we had individuals that flew airplanes into the buildings. Now, if it wasn't that and if somebody also set explosive from within the building, could be. Yep. Yep. Yeah, and, and that's my position as well. Um, if you didn't hear, she had friends that work with American Airlines, and basically that was a real deal. Um, and again, I'm not here to argue with those that uh, don't buy into that particular. I've seen the videos. I've seen how they've they supposedly changed them and all the things. Uh, again, I'm not trying to make an argument here, but I still lean that I think it was the real deal. Bottom line is... Uh, we had three different sites that had terrorists that definitely caused significant damage. At the Pentagon, we have the scene that's shown here. We have the, the towers that went down. So again, this particular uh, picture uh, is claimed to, by some not to be true. I was actually in my office at the sheriff's office when I watched the plane fly into the building, which they claimed didn't happen, but uh, some... I watched it as others did. I've heard the eyewitness reports. We've seen the damage. So regardless of how it happened, we know it happened. It was definitely terrorism that brought it there and resulting in about 3,000 people that died at 9-11 uh, through terrorist activity. What we can all agree on is that it was terrorist activity. Yeah. That, that we can. Uh, and there's the, the devastating results of it. Thousands of American citizens that died in it. Uh, President Bush, of course, there with uh, 
uh, New York Police Department and the Fire Department. If you watched uh, any of the ball games uh, recently, uh, you'll watch the coaches and the staff are wearing New York PD hats and memorial. What's the point? The point is that nobody's immune from terrorism. Uh, it, it's a horrible thing. It's a terrible thing. Um, going back to Matthew chapter 24, the Bible makes it very clear. Um, when uh, the tribulation starts, is it just going to be peaceful around the world? No. It says, beware because there's going to be wars and rumors of wars. Kingdom will rise up against kingdom, nation against nation. So even though the Antichrist is going to come and he'll bring a pseudo-peace to things, uh, there's still going to be plenty of problems uh, that will be taking place in the prophetic scenario. Just as a reminder, 2 Timothy 3.1 remi reminds us, but know this, that in the last days, and we'll be talking about this Saturday again, perilous, dangerous times and seasons will come. 2 Timothy 4, I charge you, Paul says, therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead, it is appearing in his kingdom. Here's what he says to do. Here's in light of all this stuff we just covered, what's our admonition? Preach the word. In other words, uh, stay solid with the word of God. Be ready in season and out of season. We've talked about this. Is, is the Bible in season right now? Yes. Well, it is for us, but it's not for everybody else. I mean, it's literally the persecution and those that are denying the scriptures. For them, this Bible is way out of season, so we need to stay uh, ready and in, even though it may not be loved by those outside our four walls and other churches of like-minded faith, uh, preach it uh, uh, and keep it going. Convince, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and teaching. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers, and they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. But you be watchful in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. All right, well, it gets us thinking. And again, I know there's always going to be things that uh, there may be uh, conflicting opinions on, and, and that's always fine. I will always say, just like we say, anybody need a handout for Acts? Carl's got them. Uh, 2 Timothy 2.15, when it comes to the scriptures, reminds us to do what? to study, to show ourselves approved unto God, workmen and work ladies that need not to be ashamed, rightly handling, rightly dividing the word of truth. All right, so we're going to get into Acts chapter 22, and uh, kind of the title of our section on this is Your Testimony Matters. What we're going to see now, and we, uh, we've been going, for those that are uh, first-timers here, first time on the internet, We've been going through Acts verse by verse, or we've gotten through 21 chapters so far and starting chapter 22. Paul is in Jerusalem at this point. And as usual, Paul's got problems because he's preaching a gospel that a whole lot of people don't want to hear. And that, quite frankly, hasn't changed much over the years. It's just a matter uh, anywhere you go and you start naming the name of Jesus, there's going to be trouble because not everybody buys into it. So, Paul is basically in Jerusalem. They're about ready to tear him to pieces. Uh, they're ready to kill him. And uh, there's a reason why. So, quick review. Why were the Jewish people ready to kill Paul at the end of chapter 21? If you remember from last week, a very specific reason. What, did, what was Paul accused of doing? 
Thank you. You got it. All right, good. Uh, the issue was Paul's in Jerusalem. He had some of his Gentile friends with him, as he always did. They traveled together. They worked together. And Paul went to the temple. Now, we showed you last, actually two weeks in a row, we showed you pictures of the temple courts. There is a wall. Let's assume the stage is the temple. And there's the outer court where the Gentiles could come. But there was a partition or the middle wall partition that separated the outer court of the Gentiles from the inner court where the Jewish people only could go. And according to Leviticus, if a, gen, or if a, yeah, if a Gentile attempted to cross the middle wall of partition, what were the Jews allowed to do to them? Kill them. I mean, it was no joke. They didn't want the inner court to be defiled, so this middle wall of partition was there. Well, of course, the, the big issue in the New Testament is, does the middle wall of partition figuratively exist anymore? No, there's no difference between Jew and Gentile. We're all one in Christ. We're not going to the temple anymore. Where do we see Jesus? Well, uh, we come to God directly by our faith in Christ. We don't go to a temple to see the glory of God. He's everywhere, and he indwells all believers. All right, so that was the scenario. Paul's in huge issue uh, with the Jewish people, and the Roman soldiers basically grab him and say, hey, buddy, uh, what in the world's your problem? Who are you? What are you doing? They accused him of being an Egyptian uh, uh, that had caused tremendous insurrection uh, a couple of years earlier. And he's like, no, I'm a guy that was born in, and we're going to see that where he was born now. All right, Acts, uh, end of Acts 21 to set the context. Paul said, and of course he's, he's being held by the Romans now, and they're trying to figure out who he is. He says, I am a Jew from Tarsus in Cilicia, a citizen of no mean city, and I implore you, permit me to speak to the people. So when he had given him permission, Paul stood on the stairs, motioned with his hand to the people, and when there was a great silence, he spoke to them in the Hebrew language. All right, we got to stop here because there's a couple of key points at this where we're at. All right, so if you look on our map, now, most all of you are familiar with at least the, the outline of Israel, and you see Jerusalem down in the right corner of the map. So you go up, uh, you, if you can see it, which it's probably hard with the, uh, the print size, but right above that is Nazareth. Keep going north, you get to Syria, and then you go to Cilicia, which uh, you can see right at the tip of the Tarsus, uh, which is the, the area of, of Cilicia. So basically, Paul says, that's where I was born. I was born... Uh, 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 and Tarsus, which was a bit north of Israel, basically what was known as Asia Minor or modern-day Turkey. All right, very good. All right, so here's another issue. The word Hebrew, he, the, he starts to speak, and he's, oh, he's speaking in Hebrew. Well, yeah, no. So technically, the Greek word that's used there in specifically actually refers to Aramaic, which is like a dialect of Hebrew. So were they actually speaking Hebrew or Aramaic? Well, in all likelihood, the, the language of the day was Aramaic, not literal Hebrew. But again, it would be 
a dialect of the major language. So the Hebrew dialect, though many scholars believe this refers to the cognate Aramaic language spoken in New Testament Israel. Why do I bring it up? Well, because we want to be as accurate as possible. So if you're like, well, Hebrew, what does that mean? Could it mean Aramaic? Well, yes. Uh, it's a subdivision, if you will, of Hebrew. Uh, in the Old Testament, yes, Tony. When they were in Babylon, I, I believe that's correct, but I'm not going to swear to it. What I do know, and, and I believe that's correct from a historical standpoint. Uh, where did I go? Oh, in the in the Old Testament, what language is the Old Testament written in? Hebrew, Hebrew and Aramaic. Aramaic. All right, so you have some sections in Daniel that were written in Aramaic. So again, it's a dialect, a part of the Hebrew language. All right, so moving right along, Paul said, I am indeed. Now here's the things that are listed. I just put them at bullet points as we go through the verse. He said, I'm a Jew. All right, that's a huge issue. He's Jewish. He's now in a Jewish culture, being that he's back in Jerusalem, he's not speaking to Gentiles like he was out in Macedonia and Greece and Italy, all those places, uh, born in Tarsus of Cilicia. I was brought up in, in this city. So he's saying, I was brought up in Jerusalem at the feet of who? Gamaliel. Now Gamaliel was a major Jewish highly praised individual. Paul saying, I was taught at the feet of one of the best Jewish teachers of all time, Gamaliel. I was taught according to the strictness of our Father's law, speaking of the Mosaic law. What is he trying to do here with the Jewish people? He's trying to say, listen, I get it. I know who you are. I've been there. I've been taught by the best people that you know. I've been very strong on following the Mosaic law. And he says, not only that, guys, listen to this. I was zealous towards God, toward God as you all are today. He's basically saying, listen, folks, I was exact I was stand, standing exactly where you were. I hated Christianity. I hated the thought of uh, of Gentiles. And, and he's and he's going to go in the next verse, he's going to expand on that. So he was, I was zealous towards God, just like you are. What does he say? Verse 4. He said, I persecuted this way. Now, notice the W is capitalized there, which, of course, is there's no capitalization, by the way, in the Greek manuscripts. <clears throat> but uh, English translator put it there, which I believe is correct. What's he referring to when he's talking about the way? He's talking about Christianity, all right, or believers in Christ. He said, I persecuted this way. I persecuted the Christians to what? To death. Now, again, uh, we, we touched on this last week. That's a very strong statement. I persecuted Christians to death. Well, what are they trying to do to Paul right now? They're trying to kill him, all right? So he's, he's like, okay, so I've switched... Uh, so to speak, I'm on the other side of the bars right now. Uh, so I persecuted the way to the death, binding and delivering into prisons both men and women. Now, folks, just think about this. And again, we've touched on this before, but it's like think of the horrible situation this is. Uh, 
This would be all of a sudden the back doors spring open at Union Grove Baptist Church. In walks a bunch of individuals with guns and clubs and swords and whatever else and say, recant the name of Jesus or die or go to prison. I mean, how would you like that to happen in your church, right? I mean, horrible, horrible things. That's what Paul did, the Apostle Paul, one of the greatest Christians of all time. He was breaking into synagogues, arresting people, putting them in prison, men and women. And he said, and also the high priest bears me witness. In other words, the top Jewish official and all the council of the elders, all the best of the best religious leaders from the Jewish standpoint, from whom I also received letters to the brethren. What did he do? He went to Damascus to bring in chains, even those who were there to Jerusalem to be punished. All right, so what's Paul saying to the people? He's like, hey guys, I was a card-carrying Jewish guy up until recently. I was the most powerful. I did everything I could. I had the endorsement of all the Jewish leaders to do what? To get rid of the Christian community. And that's exactly what he was doing. So uh, what does Paul do? We know that he went up, and, and of course Tarsus is just a couple of uh, miles, if you will, up from where Damascus is in Syria. He's going up to Damascus to find all those Christians that were dispersed from Jerusalem when all of a sudden the persecution started. And he's like, I want to find those buzzards and bring them back here. We're going to put them in prison. We're going to kill them. So what did he do? And I put this on here for a reason. It's like, well, why the picture? It's to remind me and you, number one, our hands are free today. I mean, thank God our hands are free today. We're not in bounds. We're not in bondage. We're not in chains. We're not uh, put in prison. We're not threatened for our lives today in our country. And I'm so thankful for that. I, don't, I mean, we can, as con- most of you being conservative, you've got issues with certain things. And I get it. I have issues with some things. But I'm still thankful I don't have this to contend with. And I hope we all are thankful for the freedom we still have. All right, verse 6. Now it happened, Paul says, as I journey and came near Damascus. What is Paul doing? He's sharing his testimony. By the way, uh, we've got sign-ups in the back uh, for baptism and a few other things. Why do we do baptisms here? Well, there's two reasons. The biggest reasons why I love having baptisms here is because what does everybody do that gets baptized? What do they do up here? They give their testimony. They tell what Jesus did for them. They tell of when they finally realized it and and the light bulb went on, so to speak, when the Holy Spirit convicted them of their sin and, and they placed their faith and trust in Christ and they tell us the story of how that happened. I love that. Uh, hearing how God changed their life. And uh, man, it's exciting. So uh, uh, what is he saying here? uh, Paul's saying to the Jewish people, he's telling them, here's what Jesus did. He's telling them how he came to Christ. It's wonderful. And and he's proclaiming it. So it happened as I journeyed and came near Damascus. In other words, as he was headed up north here, headed towards Damascus to bring the people back to Jerusalem, he said, I fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to me, wait a minute, who saw Saul is Paul, right? Okay, so Saul, Saul by, the, by the way, the Bible does, never makes the statement that 
his name was changed to Paul after he trusted Christ. However, that literally after Saul comes to Christ, they all, I mean, all of a sudden, bam, his name is always referred to after that as Paul, except in this particular time when his testimony is being given. So he says, Saul, Saul, or basically now it would have been Paul, but Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Now, folks, think about this. It's so easy just to read this stuff, and it's like, oh, yeah, that's cool. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me, blah, blah, blah. Who's talking to him? The Lord's talking to him. Jesus is talking to him. Hey, powerful. I mean, it's off the charts powerful. Can you imagine all of a sudden you... Say what? Yeah, knocks him off his horse, starts talking to him, and it's like, do you think that would get your attention? I mean, get my attention. Uh, Like, wow. And all of a sudden the voice says, why are you persecuting me? So Paul answered... Who are you? What's the next word? Lord. Lord. Who are you, Lord? I love that. Who are you, Lord? Okay, when you call someone Lord, they're basically your master. It's not partial. It's like everything belongs to them. And all of a sudden he says, Who are you, Lord? And uh, he, capital H, speaking of Christ, said to me, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are what? Persecuting. Paul is revealing this to his the Jewish audience, and of course the Romans also that are holding him there, and he's telling them about this miraculous conversion that he's going through. Verse 9, and he says, And those who were with me indeed saw the light and were afraid, but they did not hear the voice of him who spoke to me. So Christ somehow just kept the voice specific to Paul. So I said, what shall I do, Lord? And the Lord said to me, arise and go into Damascus, and there you will be told all things which are appointed for you to do. And since I could not see for the glory of that light, being led by the hand of those who were with me, I came into Damascus. So God blinded him temporarily, gets him up to Damascus. Now this has been, and I haven't done a lot of side stuff. We're going to get real, real heavy coming up pretty quickly here with what's going to take place. But before we do, we need to establish who the Apostle Paul is. Why did God, what did God do with Saul? Why is he first of all called an apostle? Well, there we're going to go to scripture which talks about an apostle is one who has to have seen the risen Lord. Did Paul see the risen Lord? Well, we go to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel. Okay, that, this is, we use this almost every Sunday. I declare to you the gospel which I preach to you, which also you received and in which you stand. If you want to know what the gospel is, here's the, a passage that tells you exactly what it is. By which also you are what? You're saved by this. In other words, saved from what? Saved from sin, saved from the penalty of sin. So if you hold fast that word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. Well, what's the gospel? Verse 3, Paul says, I delivered to you first of all that which I also received. Number one, Christ what? Died for our what? Sins. Again, if you don't know you're a sinner, there's no reason to get saved. Why get saved if you don't? If uh, I shouldn't go here, but I'm going to. I was listening, and I, and I listened to several pastors that are within driving distance of, a, of us just to see what they're doing and listen to their messages, hopefully get excited about something. And 
every church I listen to has a minimum of about 500 people in it because I want to know what's happening in some of the bigger churches. And a very good church, a very good pastor, but the gospel never comes out in the messages. And one message he finally came out, and again, I'm not going to say who it is. I'm, I'm not even going to hint at who it is. He finally decided to talk about the gospel. I'm like, yeah, I've listened to dozens of messages, but the gospel's never been breached outside of the gospel as a word. And I'm like, all right, this is great. Finally going to get it. I'm finally going to be able to say, yeah, the guy can preach the gospel. Here was the gospel message. Are you ready? Trust Jesus, period. Your children need to understand what the gospel is. That was the preface to this. Well, what's the gospel? And he says, well, here's the gospel. Trust Jesus. Nothing about sin, nothing about hell, nothing about Jesus Christ coming down from heaven, dying on a cross, buried, crucified, or crucified, buried, and rise again. Nothing. The whole gospel was trust Jesus. Now, I believe the folks in his church, I know many of them, and I know they're Christians, and I know they're saved. But it's not going to happen by listening to the message. Trust Jesus is not the gospel. That's right. What? If I came up to you and I said, here, okay, are you ready? You want to go to heaven when you die? Yes. Trust Jesus. Trust Jesus. Well, am I trusting Jesus to take me to heaven? Because I just say, okay, Jesus, I'm trusting you to take me to heaven when I die. There's no repentance. There's no gospel. There's no sin. There's no understanding. It's like, folks, that you know I'm passionate about evangelism. You know I'm passionate about the gospel. That is not the gospel message. Trust Jesus. That's a fake gospel. Now, if you say, if you start out and go through the entire gospel and you go through everything that we just went through here, okay, I'm cool with trust Jesus then by faith. You place your faith and trust in Christ, I'm cool with that. But you got to know you're a sinner. You got to know you're condemned. You got to know what Jesus did. You got to know that he was, the gospel is Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. If that's not part of the message, then we've left out the gospel. So yes, I am passionate about it. And again, I'm not going to criticize my name or church those who refuse to preach the gospel the way God wrote it but it's very disturbing we wonder why we have young people leaving churches by the scores and young people leaving churches by the scores that are college age well if you never have taught them the true gospel what do you expect them to do I mean there's no fruit there's no conversion it's all well I trusted Jesus Okay, sorry, I'm passionate about it. But it's, it's like, come on, folks, let's get with the program. Let's do it God's way. All right, 1 Corinthians 15, not only uh, does he give us the gospel, but now he testifies to who saw him. And he said after he rose from the dead, part of the, part of the gospel, he was seen by Cephas, then by the twelve. After that, he was seen by over 500 brethren at once, of whom the greater part remained to the present. And some have fallen asleep or died. After that, he was seen by James, then by all the apostles. Now, here's, here's what Paul says. I love this. Then last of all, he was seen by who? By me. Who's me? Paul. He was seen by me, Paul, also, as by one born out of what? 
due time. What does he mean, I was born out of due time? Well, he means that he didn't see Jesus Christ before uh, uh, the, the ascension. So if he would have been born in time, according to the context, he would have been around and he would have seen Jesus before the ascension took place. But he's like, I was born out of due time. I didn't see Jesus before the resurrection, but did he see Jesus? Absolutely he did. Uh, he got a personal personal uh, appearance, which, I mean, talk about wonderful and inspiring. For I am the least of all the apostles who am not worthy to be called an apostle. Remember, when Paul is saying this, this is not some cheap, oh, you know, I'm just a lousy sinner saved by a great... You know, he's not doing it to, to, to try and show himself uh, humble. He's telling the truth. God wants this to be stated. Who am not worthy to be called an apostle? Why? Because I persecuted the church of God. I killed Christians. I put them in prison. I beat them up. I took moms and dads away from their kids and put them in prison. I was a horrible, dastardly sinner. Was he? Yeah, he was. It's like, it's okay. Why? Because did God change him? Oh, yeah, he did. But, Paul says, by the grace of God, there's that word, grace. Grace is what? A free, unmerited gift. By the grace of God. Man, I'm a, I'm a rotten, dirty filthy sinner. I killed God's people, but God had grace on me. Isn't that wonderful? Uh, I mean, this this passage just screams, listen, doesn't matter where you come from, Don't doesn't matter what you did, doesn't matter how much sin you got involved in in the past, God says, I'm waiting for you. I love you. Uh, despite yourself, I still love you. And, and I want to take you to heaven if you just trust me and the grace of God's there waiting for you. But he says, but by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his, and his grace toward me was not in vain. But I labored more abundantly. He's like, yes, Jesus saved me. I got saved, but boy, I've been working my tail off ever since. Excuse the word, I guess. But uh, he's like, man, I've been working for the Lord. I'm doing everything I can. I'm witnessing the folks. I'm, I'm out there. And boy, did I mean, that guy, you talk about going through tough times. We've been through it. I mean, beat up, slammed, stoned, shipwrecked. Uh, starving half to death, but he said, boy, I just love this. I just love it. I said, I count this all rubbish for the ex excellency of knowing Jesus. I'm happy to do this. I'm happy to suffer persecution uh, because it's all for the, the one that saved me and had tremendous mercy on me. Therefore, whether it was I or they, so we preach and so you believe. All right, let's move on. We haven't gotten to the sticky point yet, and I'm not, I'm, I think we'll at least get it started, but it, it's a very tough little passage we're going to come up to. All right, we're back in Acts chapter 22, verse 12. Then a certain Ananias, a devout man according to the law, in other words, a strong in the Jewish heritage, having a good testimony with all the Jews who dwelt there, came to me. Okay, so Ananias, by the way, I mean, he's been, he, he knows Christ now. He's, he's uh, been sent to go to Paul and to, or to Saul at that time and to help him start on his walk with the Lord. He came to me and he stood and said to me, Brother Saul. Why would he call him brother? Because he is. Yeah, because he's a brother in what? In Christ. Saul got converted, of course, and uh, he's waiting for his marching orders. Brother Saul, receive your sight. And at the same hour, I looked up at him. So God gave him his sight back and I was like, all right, Paul, uh, time to go to work. Then he said, 
The God of our fathers has chosen you, Paul. I got a very specific mission for you, that you should know his will and see the just one and hear the voice of his mouth. For you will be his witness to all men. Now here's, and, I, and, I, and again, I don't like to give a lot of Greek words, but this one's worth putting up. Uh, the Greek word there, and you see the, the English transliteration there, is martus, which basically is our word what? Martyr. You will be a martus to all men. Well, the, the contextual piece there is to be a witness. Tell all folks, Gentile and Jews, about Christ. But uh, was Paul martyred? According to historical records, it certainly appears that not only was he a witness, but he was a faithful witness up and including martyrdom. All right, uh, let's go back to Acts 9 real quick to pick up on what happened uh, to back up what Paul just said in Acts 22. So Acts 9, there's a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias, and to him the Lord said in a vision, Ananias, and he said, Here I am, Lord. So the Lord said to him, Arise, go to the street called Straight, and inquire at the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus, for behold, he is praying. And in a vision he has seen a man named Ananias coming in and putting his hand on him so that he might receive his sight. Then Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man how much harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. He's like, wait a second here. You want me to go talk to this guy who loves to kill people like me? Time out. I didn't sign up for this. Verse 14. Uh, here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call in your name. But the Lord said to him, listen, Ananias, this is the Lord speaking, go for he is a what? He's a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before who? Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel. For I will show how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. All right. I'm not going to get to the, the punchline, actually, which is coming up, which we're not going to get to tonight, is a discussion about baptism. It's one of the most trickiest verses in the New Testament when it comes to the concept of baptismal regeneration. We will touch it next week. You don't want to miss that one. But we won't get there tonight, but that's what I was referring to. What I do want to do, we're going to close out with a, a section of slides on the gospel and how it has progressed. Uh, from the concept of this particular concept. Everything that we've looked at is revolving around the Jewish people right now. Paul's addressing the Jewish people. And now he's going back, we go back to Acts chapter 9, where Paul is specifically chosen by God to reach a specific people group. And what people group is that? The Gentiles. This is new stuff. Now, we have folks that get very confused by this. They're like, well, we've always been a... I mean, the Gospels are all about the Gentiles and the Acts is all about the Gentiles. I'm like, would you please show me that where you got that from? Because that's not true. It's not even close to being true. Uh, Jesus said, I wasn't set, but to whom? The lost sheep of... Wasn't the lost sheep of uh, Union Grove or United States. So I'm going to show you how God specifically laid out the progression and how we get to the point where God calls Paul specifically to minister to the Gentiles. Now, before I, I, I move forward here, have the Gentiles 
including all the Old Testament times, have the Gentiles been excluded from putting their faith and trust in God? No. No. They've always been there. But back in Old Testament times, back in Gospel times, back in the early part of Acts up until chapter 9, the Gentiles are only addressed as proselytes. Okay? So keep that in mind. Let's go through it real quick. And uh, some of you have been here through this before. Keep in mind Acts chapter 1 verse 8 is our key verse here, which we're, is going to remain in that box. But uh, Jesus, he's right at his ascension, is going to give the pattern for the gospel. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And now he's giving the progression of the gospel. You shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem. Where were they, Where was he uh, ascending from? What place? Jerusalem and, and the Mount of Olives, which is in? Jerusalem. All right, so Jerusalem is part of, there's three major sections to Israel. Let's review them. The lower region is what? Judea. The middle region is? Samaria. The upper region is? Galilee. So you have Judea region, uh, 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 Samaria region, and Galilee. Jerusalem is in Judea. All right? So he says, listen, first of all, I want you to go to Jerusalem. That's where they were. Then I want you to branch out to the region of Judea. Then I want you to go north and get into Samaria. And then doors open wide open. Get around the whole earth. All right. Acts chapter 2 we start out with. And I'm going to, and you can do this on your own to back up what I'm saying. When you go through and you start reading Acts chapter 1 and start progressing through, here is who's being addressed. Acts chapter 2. Jews and proselytes, verse 14, men of Judea, men of Israel, house of Israel. So Jews and who would the proselytes be? They're Gentiles that basically converted to Judaism. That's who's being addressed. Next section, uh, Acts chapter 3, and you'll see I'll just keep adding on the various chapters and who's being addressed. Men of Israel. Now who's that going to be? Talking Jewish people, Acts chapter 3, verse 12. Next one, captain of the temple, priests, and Sadducees. Again, all speaking of Jewish people, Acts chapter 4 and chapter 5. Then we go down to uh, uh, elders and children of Israel. Again, Acts chapter 5 and the verses given. Then we go to the center section. Now we're going to talk about Hellenists. What were Hellenists? They were Jews who basically adopted what culture? Okay, but they are Jews who who adopted um, Grecian culture, Acts 6. Then we talk about a Gentile came to Christ. Again, they don't say a Gentile would trust in Christ. They call him a proselyte to Judaism. (laughs) It's interesting because the, the, the most interesting one and the easiest one to look at is uh, um, the Ethiopian eunuch. Ethiopian eunuch was a Gentile. He comes to Israel, and he's a proselyte. So he had proselytized to Judaism. The Ethiopian eunuch, a Gentile, is in Israel because he's following the law. Then who comes to him and preaches Jesus to him? Philip comes. So now he's, he's not only a Gentile, he was not only a proselyte to Judaism, but then Philip comes and preaches Jesus to him, and does he trust Christ? Yes. Yeah, absolutely. So it, it's, that's how this progression is going to take place. All right, next one. Stephen preaches to his people, of course, Jewish people, martyred in Acts chapter 7. Acts chapter 8. Ah! 
Go down to Acts chapter 1, verse 8. We're in Jerusalem. We've been reaching out to Judea. Now where is he at? A Samaritan. Acts chapter 8, verse 25. Then we just talked about the Ethiopian proselyte, Acts chapter 8. Still, we haven't used a particular word that starts with a G, which is Gentile. Haven't gotten there yet. But we're going to get there, Acts chapter 9. Saul's converted, and who's he told to go reach? The Gentiles. All right, so that's basically, it, it, it literally follows the progression of Acts chapter 1, verse 8, and how all that fits together. Uh, so we go Jew, proselytes. Finally, we get to uh, the Gentiles and keeps moving forward from that point. All right, uh, we've, we've run out of time, but what, what's the thing here? Let me give one final practical piece. Paul's arrested, basically. The government says, he's like, please, I know they want to kill me, but let me talk to them. <laughs> give me a shot. And I like, all right, go ahead, talk to the people. Paul begins to share his what with the people. All he's sharing is, here's what Jesus did for me. Starting in two weeks, the week after missions conference, we're starting a class which uh, Justin Aminsky, or the chairman of the board, is going to be teaching. has nothing to do with him being the chairman of the board, but <laughs> has to do with he loves evangelism. So he's going to be starting a, a class for adults uh, on evangelism and discipleship. In fact, uh, he's going to start using the book, uh, ah, it's by Paul Little. It's basically, oh, how to share your faith. It's been around since I was in Bible school 100 years ago. Good book. What's the point? The point is, listen, all of us are called to share the gospel the best we can with what we know and how we know. Do you know, and if I ask you this, could you, could you please share the gospel with me? And some of you are going to say, I don't know what to do. I don't know where to go. You do know because you hear it every Sunday here. So you know. But here's what you absolutely know. Even if you couldn't get all the verses right, you know what you, could, what you would get right? You do exactly what Paul did. Here's what happened to me. I was in my mom, I was three years old, and my mom sat me on her knee and started sharing the, uh, that I was a rotten sinner at three years old, and you know I stole a cookie off the table. Or uh, maybe you were uh, 20 years old and you had lived a, a goody-two-shoes life and went to church every Sunday, but all of a sudden the Holy Spirit touched you and uh, you realized you needed to put your faith and trust in Christ. Or maybe you uh, lived a really rough, tough, uh, even wicked life and all of a sudden something happened in the gospel. Do you know how you got saved? If you don't, please see me in my office. I will help you tonight, and I sincerely mean that. But most of you sitting here tonight, if not all, you can tell me exactly the point in time when Jesus, somehow, you received him as your Savior. Can you share that with somebody? Not that you're going to, but could you? <laughs> could you do that? Of course you can. You share with them exactly what Paul did. Well, here's what happened to me. Here's what Jesus did to change me. That, do you think that's powerful? It's super powerful. That's why we have baptisms. We don't just take somebody, and I don't just say, listen, this person trusted Christ, I'm going to baptize them now, or baptize them now. Uh-uh. No, they're going to tell us exactly what happened. Why? Because we want everybody to rejoice. We want everybody to hear. We want folks that come to watch the baptisms that may never place their faith and trust in Christ to hear exactly why their friend or their relative, what happened to them. And it's wonderful. You agree? All right, I think we need to have one. 
We've got, I think, three or four signed up for baptisms right now. If you've never been baptized since you got saved, I'd love to hear your testimony. You say, I'm nervous. I'm scared. I don't know that I can do it. I always tell them, and it's never happened yet, but I still would make good on it. You write it out. You stand in the water with me. I'll be happy to read it if you think you can't read it. But let's do it if you've never done it. All right, let's close. Father, thank you for your love for us. Thank you for uh, just knowing from the Word of God about things that are going to take place in the prophetic future. Father, I pray that you'd all help us all, despite some things that are, quite frankly, troubling, sometimes even scary, not to be disturbed by it, but simply to keep doing as Titus said in chapter 2, verse 13, just to keep looking up and waiting for the blessed hope, the blessed appearing of our Lord Jesus. And Father, help us to center on him this week. And then, Lord, as uh, uh, we read about Paul's testimony, under horrible circumstances, I mean, he was facing death, he was facing arrest, uh, yet he said, listen, can I please tell what Jesus did for me? Lord, would you help us to do that this week as as well, whether it's giving out a tract to somebody, maybe sharing a, a, a verse or two with somebody, maybe giving the entire gospel to somebody, maybe simply inviting them to the church to be part of the missions conference and to hear what people are doing around the world. Lord, we commit all this to you. Help us to be good examples, good witnesses this week. And all God's people said, amen. amen. Have a great night. Thanks for being here.